Hi, I'm Kelly Klein. I am an exclusive photographer with iStock Photo. I shoot food and it's yummy. Oh, you're listening to Light Source. And welcome to episode 24 of Light Source, the official podcast of StudioLighting.net, the website that introduces photographers to portrait and studio lighting equipment and techniques. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher. And I'm Ed Hidden, exclusive photographer and image inspector with HighStockPhoto.com. On today's episode, well, get out your snacks because we're going to be talking about food photography. We're going to have on the show with us a guest from a uh, co-member of iStockphoto.com, and her name is Kelly Klein, if you hadn't guessed it already. But before we get into the meal, do we have any news going on, Bill? Well, I thought there was a couple of interesting things in the news this week. Um, one of the things that actually you sent me a link about was this uh, Photo Glow photo frame. That thing looks really cool. Yeah, so I guess the, the basic gist of it is it's a, it's a photo frame which you can place a picture in, except it's lit from behind. Kind of like you'd see a large subway advertisement or something like that. But now, do you do you have to use any special type of paper to print it on, or you just do it like a regular print? Or from what I read, which and this is, uh, I think you picked this up on PhotoJojo.com, which is a great little blog for photography. But they pretty much said you can print any photo and stick it in there. I guess the light is strong enough to just give it some pop. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I'd love to see that thing in action. One inch thick and uses a super thin power cord. So it looks like they have 11 by 14, 14 by 18, 16 by 22. Now we're talking 20 by 24. That's sizable. Now the 20 by 24 is 180. So it does look like it starts to get a little pricey. Pretty cool stuff. Especially when you get up to the 28 by 40s. Wow. It does look really cool. I'd love to see how that looks. In person, because it, it sounds like a really cool idea. Yeah. How about you? Did you find anything interesting on the internet this week? Oh, I got lots of cool stuff. Actually, one came into me in my inbox tonight as I was sitting down to uh, you know throw out my spam. Uh, I got a newsletter from iView Media, and something I missed is right at the beginning of the month, they started a podcast. Oh. And it features video tutorials, and it shows how to get the most out of digital asset management software, iView Media Pro, which is the one that I've been using and really I really enjoy because I think it has the most power to it out of all of them out there currently that's great and it's hosted by shane bowman who's their user experience guy who basically goes to like all the trade shows and stuff and tells people about iview and how to use it and things like that so should be really interesting to get some some video tutorials for i know that we've had a lot of questions about workflow on the blog and um and the Flickr group so uh, probably something for our listeners to check out absolutely another thing that i've found that um I'm really thinking that I need to take advantage of this one. Capture One, or I should say Phase One, and SanDisk are now offering a collaboration. They're working together that if you purchase the Extreme 3 Compact Flashcard, you get a copy of Capture One LE Raw Workflow free. No kidding. Yeah, it's it's a $100 program, and the 4-gigabyte card is $140. So if you need memory and you're thinking about buying this program, it's definitely a thing to consider because I mean, I've thought about Capture One LE, and if you're going to spend $100 on the program, you may as well spend another $40 and get 4 gigs of... Pick up of, a storage card, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. It also includes a 15% discount for the upgrade from LE to, to Pro. 
That's terrific. Yeah, and that adds adds more uh, uh, some more pro features where you know it's more suited for like a studio where you can do two computer activations cross platform if you'd like um, some extra tagging, multiple size outputs, and um, shooting tethered as well directly into predefined folders. So it's certainly you know geared towards a studio or a professional photographer. Excellent. Uh, how about quirky news? Anything strange or exciting out there? Well, actually, but. Before we get into quirky news, this isn't really anything new, but it's it's something that I've seen that's really cool, and I think it's a Suka book. Take your photos, and it will print them in a bound book, and you can either get soft cover or hard cover. I don't think it's like the the photo books that you would get from either like iPhoto or that you would get from like Shutterfly or MyPublisher.com. These seem like they really look fabulous. They do, and you can just upload. JPEGs, I assume, and configure your book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you would upload. I uh, don't know if they have like a layout tool that you would download to pick where it is, or whether you just upload everything and put everything online and use an online tool. It looks like uh, they give you. They're asking you to do layouts in Photoshop. Oh, and okay. Upload them. So that's even better because that way you have total control of the of the design because that's that's one of the issues that you know. I guess myself being a graphic designer. I don't like being pigeonholed into a standard template from a lot of these, you know, like the shutterflies. And the this gives you, like, total flexibility, and it, it looks very hot. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even if you're not a pro or you don't have a reason to uh, to display your books to clients or anything like this, it's it's a cool ego booster. Certainly. <laughs> Making a coffee table book for, of your own photography. Oh, even if you're thinking about getting more professional, imagine doing, like, a couple books and stick them at coffee shops or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And let people go through them, and I mean, what a better calling card or way to promote your business. Ah, oh, let's see, what else did I have here? Um, just a little quick blip. You know that I like Slideshow Pro. We've talked about it before on the show. It's a really cool gallery application for your uh, for your web browser. Yeah. Well, it seems like they've been really releasing new updates. I mean, left and right. I mean, some of them are bug fixes, but they've been adding some new functionality as well to it. And I mean, it's really cool with some of the stuff that they're doing. One of the cool things that they've done is they they've given you an option now instead of having the little numbers across the bottom that tell you the thumbnails or the the which how many uh, images are in the gallery. You can now mm-hmm. toggle that to really small thumbnails. Oh, nice. Yeah, so now you can see the images before just rolling over a number and popping up the bigger thumbnail. You can actually see a thumbnail preview without, you know, just, oh, there, there it is, click. I think I might have seen that implemented somewhere, and and I, I thought how cool that was. So that was actually Slideshow Pro. I yeah, bet. I'm sure it was Slideshow Pro. It's it's um, it's um, a really cool application, and it's really growing into uh, something really slick and pretty modular as well. And what is the cost on that? Uh, dirt cheap. I, th- I think it's like $40 or something. Yeah, it's well worth it. Yeah, it is well worth it. And they also, if your website is powered by PHP, they also offer a back-end management tool called Director that you basically stick on your server, and it um, it allows you to control all of your gallery data from a graphical interface. It's all built on Ajax that when you want to reorder the images in an album, you just drag them to the right spot, and they... I'll reflow right in the browser, and it writes all of that data back to the the XML file right on the server. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, really cool stuff. Now, you found some quirky news this week. I did. It was DSLR armor. DSLR armor. Okay. I'm intrigued. Yeah, it was, um, they're calling it armor, and it's 
like a protective case that you can put on your DSLR, uh, you know, when you're really out there beating it up, I guess this is supposed to help with that. <laughs> uh-huh. It doesn't look very attractive, I'll tell you that. No, it's not attractive, but I think it could have probably helped the day that my daughter kicked my D50 off of the top of the swing set and <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, you know, it's like your camera, your camera's built ergonomically for your hand. Yeah. And this is adding like a layer of bulk to it. And it just added, it just looks like it's going to be very uncomfortable in my opinion. Yeah, it's probably only for those guys that are out there, you know, running behind military or something like that and, and really need their camera to be protected or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> like I said, it's quirky. <laughs> well, that's all the news that is the news for this week. So uh, we're going to start in with our interview with food photographer Kelly Klein. On this episode of Light Source, we have with us a fellow iStock member, a very talented food photographer, and you've probably guessed by just saying food photographer now that I'm talking about member Kay Klein, Kelly Klein. And thanks for being with us this week, Kelly. Hey, not a problem. So how did you get into shooting food photography? Oh, that's kind of interesting, actually. It started out where... You know, I come from a very meat and potatoes, boring kind of growing up with food. That when I got out on my own, I started picking up gourmet magazines and trying my hand at the recipes in there. And when I would invite friends over, because I love to entertain, they would always say, oh, you got to take a picture of this because it's a piece of art. And that's <laughs> kind of where it started from. So I started taking Polaroids. I still have my first Polaroid somewhere. Oh, that's cool. And documenting my meals. And then from there, I got a fairly large client here that does, um, you know, for World Trade Center and stuff like that in Seattle, doing all of their um, chef-prepared meals and that sort of thing. So it kind of spiraled into something that I didn't expect it to. And then um, I found iStock looking for a wallpaper and uploaded a few of my images there, and they just really took off, so I just kept going. Oh, that's great. So your food photography is a lot more than just iStock. You have this as your own business as well. Yeah. Yeah, I do food styling and I do food photography. Fantastic. So I'm kind of the all-in-one package. <laughs> and your your photography is amazing. Could you give us a little peek into your style of of lighting? What's your what's your secret? Um, mostly I I try to use natural light whenever possible. I'm very big into natural foods, organic foods, and if I'm going to do that. I also like that to be natural light because really nothing showcases food more beautifully than being bathed in warm natural light. So I'm really blessed with a really great place because I have windows on both the east and the west sides. And then I also have it on the south and the north. So I get really fantastic lighting and I can diffuse the light with curtains and blinds and other sorts of things like that to get exactly what I want. Now... When you use natural light, and, and you know we are somewhat of a lighting show, typically we like to get into the technical details about lighting, mm -hmm. but shooting natural light photography doesn't mean you're not using and modifying the light, right? I mean, Oh, I modify the heck out of it. <laughs> that's great. What are some of the ways that you would do that? You mentioned a large window as your, as I guess you would make that sort of your key light, and then where would you go from there? Well, depending on where the lights come from, if it's coming, I have a very large window. It's about six foot by five foot. And normally that's diffused quite a bit of the time. Unless the light's on the other side of the house, then it's not, it has a nice soft light to it anyway. And it's not harsh coming through. I use flags 
to kind of bend the light where I want it to go so it doesn't spill into places I don't want it to spill into. And I use a lot of bounces. And they vary in all shapes and sizes and colors as well. So just for our listeners' sake, mm-hmm. what kind of materials are those? Are those like foam core pieces that you've got cut into different sizes or are they commercial available? I have black cylinders that are just poster board that are um, have Velcro attached to them so that you can adjust the diameter. And that is good for like shooting glasses and wine bottles and that sort of thing because you get that nice strip light effect. Oh, okay. And I use a various array of foils, copper that has been like hammered so that you can get like a nice dappled look on it, brass foil that has been crumpled because that gives a nice, it almost kind of looks like it's coming through leaves, like autumn leaves, the light that bounces wow. back. White, silver, you know, tin foil, which just gives a nice clean white light back. I use that quite a bit. Gold as well, and also bronze for when I'm working with, let's say, a candlelight dinner. I will use an orange shear to diffuse the light, and then I will use my bronze bounces to get the front of it lit nicely. So it makes it a nice, warm, and inviting atmosphere to the shot without tweaking it in Photoshop. So it sounds like someone could experiment with all sorts of different surfaces and stuff and just kind of laying around the house. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been desperate on location jobs where I haven't brought enough things with me that I've used things like a paper towel as a bounce. That's great. So, I mean, you know, people kind of go, ooh, paper towel, that doesn't reflect. But it's really amazing when you you hold up anything two inches away from a subject, how you can change the color of it if you have enough light coming in on it. So it's pretty fun. It's kind of a challenge, I think, making light bend to your will. It sounds like it. I was going to say, it sounds like a lot of... Uh... A lot of equipment, and, and you haven't even mentioned the, the, the big S word once, the, the strobe. No, I won't use a strobe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I use a strobe for shooting models, and that's fine. I just feel that the strobe with my food photography, because I've tried it, it just, there's not enough control for what I want to do, and it's usually it's always too harsh because the amount of space I work in, you know, I wish they made mini strobes. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But uh, even at the lowest power, the strobes are just still too strong. And you lose the ambiance. And that's always what I try to create in my pictures is that you are it's like right there in front of you and you're just about to take a bite. And you can't get that when you're just flooding it with a bunch of artificial light. Well, that's probably one of the biggest things that I've noticed about your photography is that it always seems like everything is very natural, very real, very much like it would look to my eye. Well, actually not my eye because my house has really bad lighting, but <laughs> <laughs> but like in the best possible location. Do you, I mean, aside from the lights, is there anything that you do to make food look real? Because a lot of food photography I see is, you know, it's, it's okay. shot at a, it's at a dinner table and you get the, you know, the chandelier lighting or it's at a restaurant. Yeah. I always shoot at ISO 100. I don't like shooting at a higher ISO. Partially, though, that's just my own sort of weirdness because I like the challenge of getting the most out of the available light there. And I think that every time you discover a new trick, you've learned something new. I don't do much to the food other than plate it. I don't have any special tricks on food styling itself because it's just food as it is. 
you know, I don't use um, motor oil for maple syrup and that sort of thing, and I don't use mashed potatoes or glue for milk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the everything that you see that I've taken a picture of is 100% edible right off the set, and more often times than not, I have hungry friends here waiting to eat it. So, oh, so Bill and I can't invite ourselves. Uh, yeah, you guys can come on over because I always need, especially coming in the holidays, I, I need lots of people here. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a plan there, Ed. December episode. There we go. We're going to Seattle. <laughs> hey, there you go. On location. <laughs> now, with the uh, with the realism, and you mentioned using natural light, and you mentioned not liking to shoot at high ISOs, so my next question is, you must have some fast lenses how <laughs> which apertures are you shooting at and how does that affect you know your depth of field and how do you deal with that um i love depth of field i love shallow depth of field um the lenses i use aren't really they're pretty stock i mean i have the canon 50 millimeter macro lens i use that a lot i also use the regular little uh 1.8 50 millimeter lens and i usually shoot right about Three or 3.5, sometimes up to 5. So it's usually between the 3 and 5 mark. And you're usually in the macro range? or? Um, no, actually. Uh, not in the macro range a whole lot. You, I, you tend to lose the environment, which is part of the thing that makes food photography appealing. You know, who wants to see the innards of a pomegranate when you can see the pomegranate split open with some seeds laying out? Otherwise, it just kind of looks like guts, you know. <laughs> So I think you you miss out when you get too close. And so many people are like, oh, i got to have an extender and a macro lens and blah. And it's like, God, if you're shooting an insect, yes, but not food. That makes sense. Yeah, because it's too much. I like what you said about having the environment in the shot. That really does make Because the more you feel like you are at the table, the more appealing the photograph probably is. Yep, totally. Because if it's just, I don't like shooting isolated white but I get requests to do it a lot. And I'm, mm. I'm sure that's for designers needing the ease of removing it from the background. I love shooting where it looks like it's in a setting where you have things going on in the background and there's depth in the shot and your eyes go right to the food and you're like, oh, got to have some of that. <laughs> for instance, there's one I'm looking at right now in your portfolio. It's um looks like it's a croissant on a tray sitting on a bed. You know, with a, a oh. table and a nightstand, uh, the light on the nightstand is on, and I'm like, hmm. That's a fun story, actually. Yeah, I was wondering I if I can get that delivered to me tomorrow. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm on it. <laughs> my mom and I went out to the coast, and I we were staying at these cottages, and I thought, well, I'm just going to bring some a couple trays with me and some glassware just to see if I could get some good shots there. And it turned out they had this really great, simple bedroom, you know, very cottage-like. So I just put our breakfast on the tray and had my mom holding a piece of, I believe I had her holding a silver bounce. And that was the craziest bounce material you probably ever heard of. It's (laughs) (laughs) plastic silver foil that they use in, like, stuffing into gift bags. Uh Uh-huh. Because you can bend it and you can move it and you can poke holes in it and, you know, do all kinds of things to bounce the light. So what I did is I positioned it the way I wanted it, and it was kind of curved a little bit and then bent under so it was lighting up from underneath to give it a nice even light because that whole side of it was, the left side was completely dark, and all the light was coming in from the window, 
and the light from the lamp was, I mean, it wasn't really that bright, and I just used a um, tripod. That is really cool. I'll put a link to the image on the show notes for the, for this episode so our listeners can check out the actual yeah. final image. It's really great. Yeah. It makes me hungry every time. I think I actually have, there's a cinnamon pastry shot coming out of a bag. Um, that's pretty. That's a pretty new upload that I just put up. That, I know that I have one that's bounced, and I used a paper napkin to bounce that because I that's had awesome. nothing else. Yeah, that was just a spur-of-the-moment <laughs> shot. So what's it like? I mean, it sounds like you shoot food wherever you go. Do you get a lot of uh, people interested in watching you set up and stuff like that? Do you end up oh, doing yeah. this in restaurants? And Yeah, but it's, cool. it's kind of funny because I've met several clients that way where I've been in the restaurant and shooting my meal or shooting my cup of coffee or, you know, just shooting to shoot. And, um, you know, they see the big camera and they come over and they're like, oh, what are you doing? And then I show them. <laughs> and I didn't know my food could look so good. And then I give them a card and it goes from there. I think the best way to sometimes is just to get out and do it. But it's fun. It's good advice. Yeah, you get some people looking at you like you're a lunatic because you're sitting there hovering over your food plate, not eating it, you're shooting it. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say that it's fair to to give advice of only choosing like one subject in the image? Or I mean, to me, there's a little no. bit of tension between bringing the environment in and then also being clear about what your subject is. Do you ever run into that? Yeah, because I've actually had situations where I've had art directors. You know, they have one item. I could give you examples, but then they would know. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to be generic here. The art directors have wanted the subject, but then they want a bazillion things around it. So when they, when you do that, more is not necessarily better. And I shoot it the way they want it. And then when they get it, they go, oh, but it's so cluttered. It looks so cluttered. Then I go back and I say, let me give it a shot with how I was trying to explain it to you before. And I shoot their subject, and my philosophy is always less is more. You can strip down an environment, like the shot that Ed referenced earlier. It's a bed and a lamp and a nightstand. I took all the crap that was on the nightstand off, the flowers off the wall. You don't need to know that somebody likes lighthouses and they had a lighthouse hanging over the bed. You don't need to know that they have a lighthouse-shaped vase with fake flowers in it. None of that, because that's not the important thing. The important thing is the environment that it's in and the subject is the food on the tray. So it's stripping down everything so that you give the basic idea to support the subject. That's uh, bring the subject into the foreground. That's excellent advice. That's something I've been looking at um, on a whole lot of different levels in terms of like my photography as well as my... Um, like my web design, I find that the stuff that I like best is the stuff that is refined down to the this pure essence of what it is. Yeah, I think it goes with like just everything. I mean, you can apply it to the less is more thing to everything in life. You mentioned that you do mostly natural light. So do you have a favorite time of the day for photography? Oh, yeah, you guys are going to laugh. Okay, I, I try to get up very early in the morning. It doesn't <laughs> always happen. So it's always in the evening. I always shoot in the evening. Plus, I get the my big studio window is westerly, so I'm getting that golden, wonderful, warm sunlight coming in. The morning sunlight always seems to be a little bluer. I have a bunch mm -hmm. of pictures that were taken early in the morning, and the sun was so intense. 
Um, those are like coffee on a tray, like outside kind of thing. They're, they're similar to the tray that's used in that cottage shot. And if that's the light you're working with, do you try to diffuse it then or, or do oh, anything yeah. with the window? Yeah, well, for the summer months, it's between 2 o'clock when the sun's still high in the sky. I don't really have to diffuse it, and I can. that's when I can pull off some dramatic light because okay. undiffused when it's high overhead and you have, you know, you're inside and it's just coming in the windows, you can get not harsh light, but you can get hard light. So there's like a shot that has a palette. It's, I think it's called Caesar Salad Ingredients. That was done with undiffused hard light coming through the window, and then I used flags to direct the light, so it was like a beam shining through. And the shadows are pretty intense, but it's not like so bad. You're going, dang, that's gross. Now, <laughs> with certain foods, you would want to you'd want to highlight the texture. Is that the kind of thing that you're talking about? Oh yeah, you always have to consider the texture. There's one called truffled ravioli. That was shot at a restaurant that I actually am shooting a bunch of their menu items. If you get really close on it, you can see, because the ravioli is sautéed in a butter sauce, the thing was I didn't want them to look slimy because while you're sitting there looking at them, it looks like little deflated pillows of sliminess. (laughs) They're really delicious. I mean, really super delicious. Probably one of my favorite meals at this restaurant. But it it was a challenge with the lighting to get the, to get the lighting so that they didn't look flat. So what we did was the window was coming directly from behind, and that was a restaurant window. And then I had him holding a white bounce on the left side, and on the right side is a silver bounce, and it's a little more towards the front, and that's shining up so that it shines on the raviolis, and you can see more texture in the ravioli. And there's like height okay. and depth. There's probably easier ways of doing it with artificial light, but it's just the way I do it. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, don't mess with success. Yeah, it's that old, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. When we were talking about the beginning of the show, um, before we started recording, you were talking about having a passion for food photography, and it's obvious in your work. And uh, you were comparing it. it to some of the other subjects that you've shot. Yes. I don't like shooting people so much because... In my portfolio, though, there doesn't seem to be a market or a turnaround for my people shots. And I have a very hard time directing people because my my mind is just not in it because of my, my issues with directing people. Because food, I can I can touch it and I can reach out and move it and put it where I want. You don't want to reach out and touch your model and put it where you want <laughs> because you're probably going to get slapped. <laughs> So, and I have a hard time when I'm trying to convey, and it's frustrating. Like this recent, what I did recently was um, decided when I shot this model that we work with on a regular basis, I told him, this time I want to try something different. I want to put food in your hand for every single photo we do. If it doesn't have something to do with food, I don't want to take it. And this was the first time ever working with people that I have had an epiphany about the direction of that where I'm going is the right way. We had so much fun. I had no problems whatsoever directing them. And it's because I think of my passion for food and the food lifestyle pictures that enabled me to, I mean, I did some of the best work I've ever done with people. And every single picture has something to do with food. But I think it's that when you have a passion, you have a tendency to focus more intensely than the guy who doesn't have a passion for it or the girl. Um, I see a lot of people that exclusively shoot people and then all of a sudden they pop out with a food picture and it's so flat and it, 
you know, there's there's just no appeal to it. And it's not their fault. It's just that they don't, I don't think that they have the passion for what they shot. But then the next picture that they, they upload is this amazing portrait. And so it's obvious where their forte is, I guess you can say. That's a really cool thought. Now, you, you have a passion for food. Do you also cook? Oh, yeah. Everything that you see styled, except for the shots in the restaurants that I do, um, because the chefs are kind of antsy and they don't like you <laughs> touching their food. Um, <laughs> they like it to come on the plate how they put it together. And those are the only things I don't style. I just I just shoot those. But everything pretty much that you see in my portfolio, I'd say 99% of it is styled and cooked by me. That's wonderful. How long do your shoots typically take? I mean, do, do you have to work quickly? Do, I mean, because, I mean, food doesn't last too long while it's still attractive. Um, yeah, you have to work. Um, when you're working with produce, especially, you have to work extremely quickly because the longer you have a salad sitting there, the more it's going to wilt and wilt and wilt. And even with using, you know, natural light is fairly cool to use unless it's a hot summer day you're still going to lose your freshness. Just like you have a, a steak with gravy, for instance. As soon as the gravy starts to cool, it starts to congeal, and the fats are going to bubble together, and it's going to look absolutely disgusting. You definitely have a very short window to work in. I think a lot of people don't take that into consideration, and they keep shooting like a steak with gravy, and they do it for half an hour till they get the right shot. But the right shot is congealed and awful, and the salad is half the height it used to be because it's wilted down into the plate. So hmm. that, and you have to get in good with your vendors because you can't have just regular grocery produce. You have to have perfect produce. You can't have lettuce that you has brown edges. You can't use the bruised apples. Yeah, apples with, you know, big scars on the side of it because that's not the apple that everybody wants to eat. Everybody wants to eat the perfect apple. I'm the one that goes through a head of lettuce and I tear out the best of the best of the best leaves to make it look as good as I possibly can and find the slices of cheese with holes in just the right spots. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds very tedious. Um, it is. It's The styling end of it is very demanding. It's the thing that takes me the longest. I'll set up a shot for two hours, and that's prepping all of the pieces and hunting, finding the right stuff. And I'll spend two hours prepping it and putting the plate together just to be shooting it for five minutes. Wow. So, and it's pretty much about, you got five to ten minutes to shoot something before it just doesn't look appetizing anymore that's pretty much it it's fast when when i'm not having to do the styling it's uh bang 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 so when i just did a restaurant shoot last week um we did two appetizers two main courses and two desserts and we did all of that i think it was no more than 45 minutes spent on total shoot time actually taking the pictures the rest of the time was adjusting the bounces and getting everything right because we couldn't we were shooting during business hours so we couldn't bring in any extra lighting equipment we just had to use bounces and that was it so we were as unobtrusive as possible but yeah you have a very short window so have you employed any any tricks to um extend the life of the food at all like i know um one shoot that we did where i worked with a photographer and they were using cornstarch in a spray bottle of water to try and 
get the the beads of sweat on on the the vegetables. Oh yeah, no, because you can't eat nothing after you put that. Um, it's not cornstarch; it's glycerin. They put glycerin in the bottle of water, and you can't eat anything. It and a lot of my work, like I have some turkey images. That actually took three turkeys in order to get the one turkey image that I actually have, or the you know the turkeys that I do have. It was so much trial and error trying to get those turkeys just right. I, I don't like to waste food. I don't like to waste it, and I don't like to fake it at all. It's funny because after being in the business for so many years, I can look at a scoop of ice cream and tell you if it's mashed potatoes or if it's Crisco or if it's ice cream. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every every time I see um, ice cream that is not shiny or melted in the least bit, yeah, that's mashed potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> if it's shiny but not melted, that's Crisco. So, yeah, ice cream is very, very, very hard to shoot. Um, you have to have, you know, climate control and all kinds of good stuff and many balls of ice cream already pre-frozen in order for it to look proper. But uh, hmm. it's very funny whenever you see somebody trying to pass off a scoop of mashed potatoes as vanilla ice cream. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> I have a question because my favorite food is, is pizza, so I have to ask if you have any tips for shooting pizza. Oh, I have a few shots of pizza, actually. Um, boy, pizza, if you got a good-looking pizza, pizza just lends itself to photography really, really, really well. The thing is, is getting it super fresh. Um, I would say go get a take-and-bake one because by the time you get it to you from a delivery place, it's already been sitting out of the oven for about 15 minutes, so your window of opportunity is long since passed, and you get that the oil that comes to the top of the cheese. If you right. get a take-and-bake, then you can easily brown it to perfection. Uh, what I like to do is I like to put foil over the top so the cheese doesn't turn brown, so it's still white. And then uh, when you're cutting it, don't cut the cheese all the way through, and you could slide a knife under it and cut the dough. That way when you pull it up, the cheese strings up. Really oh, good. there we go. I knew you'd have a tip for me there. Yeah. It's kind of tricky getting the knife under there, but uh, if you do it while the cheese is still molten, you can do it with like a bamboo skewer and with a little like paring knife. Cut the edge of the dough so that the dough lifts out, that the cheese comes with it. So That is awesome. Yeah, it, it makes for a really nice shot. It looks natural. It doesn't look like somebody added extra melted cheese in there and, you know, set the spatula up on a platform and then stitched in cheese. That's just looks, it's obvious. I can always tell when they use the bad tricks. <laughs> well, do you have any tips for uh, for someone who wanted to get into food photography other than just, you know, shoot all the time? Um, it takes a lot of practice. When I look back at my first stuff, it was, it's so bad. <laughs> it's <laughs> embarrassing. I would say that cookbooks and those kinds of things are your best sort of reference because that's what's happening now in the food industry is what you see in printed material is what is happening and that is what you should be using as your inspiration. Food Network is a huge inspiration, huge. Keeping up with current trends is big. You don't want to just keep shooting the same things over and over and it's also about finding the best shot, not 20,000 shots 
of one thing. You you really want to find the one thing that really shows off what you're doing. Anybody can turn a burger around on a plate and take a picture of it about 50 different ways. It's finding the one that makes you want to bite into it and do it so that when you look at your own picture, your mouth waters. Well, we, I think, opened a lot of folks' eyes to what it's like to be a food photographer, and I wanted to really thank you, Kelly, for sharing with us and taking time to be on the show. Oh, I've had a blast. Yeah, well, if you want a little more fun, we have a tradition here on Light Source that you probably know about, where we like to ask our photographers a couple of uh, rapid-fire questions. Are you up for it? <laughs> Hold on, let me get my yeah. list. Well, let me start off. Just These may or may not be photography-related, okay? so. Okay. What's your favorite food? <laughs> my favorite food? All of it. Life is too short to not experience everything and love it all. You can ask That's me what I answer. hate. I can tell you what I hate. <laughs> okay, well... <laughs> How about that? That will be our next question. What kind of food do you hate? Canned vegetables. Abomination <laughs> of the food world. <laughs> That's great. Well, one thing we haven't talked about, digital or film? Well, for work, digital. For play and for art, film. That's a great answer. How about your favorite subject to photograph? Could be food or not, like a particular. I think, okay, this is going to sound really dumb because it has nothing to do with food photography. It has to be Mount Rainier because... Mount Rainier. Yeah, I have like some weird connection to that place. That's awesome. Favorite magazine? Favorite magazine. Oh, man, you're going to make me pick one? Yep, you got to pick one. <laughs> you're stranded on a hiking trip on Mount Rainier. Yeah, I subscribe to like three. Yeah, if I were stranded, it'd have to be Bon Appetit. Okay. Because, okay, I like gourmet because the recipes are really good, but the photography isn't that good. They need to hire me because they need some help. But if I was stranded, I wouldn't want a food magazine. I was just thinking that, too. I'm like, <laughs> man, that would just be torture. Oh, now, see, here's <laughs> the thing. I can take you out in the woods, and we can be out there for seven days with no matches or nothing. I can cook you a meal, and you would not even realize that I'm, you're eating bugs and ferns. Hello. I'm going yeah. camping with you next time. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. That's pretty funny. Okay, how, how about something that's inspired you? My mother, she's been an inspiration all my life. She is a fantastic artist. She really fostered my artistic side all through my life. And it's from the art and the music and everything. She's given me every opportunity that I could possibly want. Yeah, I mean, she would. I would have to say she's like the biggest inspiration. So That's a great answer. A She'd mom. hang anything I make her on the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. If you had one dream assignment that you would hope for, what would it be? I think it would be to go to a resort in a tropical place so that I could take pictures with amazing backdrops, peaceful, clean, perfect lighting, and where the food is like unnaturally colorful and flavorful. I think that would be my dream assignment is a... And, and not to sound all cliche, ooh, we're going to go to Hawaii, but, you know, um, <laughs> just for the colors and the flavors and the lighting, I think it would. I would definitely want to do a resort job somewhere. I can relate to that one. Very appropriate. Well, we've had a great time talking tonight with Kelly Klein, and you can check out some of her amazing food photography at uh, in a couple of places, actually. Kelly has a website at K Klein Photography. That's K C L I N E Photography dot com. And Kelly, you've also got a blog. 
which is sort of a, a cooking experiment, right? Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing. It's where uh, it's kind of behind right now because I had so many assignments this summer that I I had to kind of put everything on hold. But I put up a list of ingredients and people vote, and then I pick the top three ingredients and I create something new. It's kind of like awesome. the internet's version of Iron Chef, I guess. <laughs> Only I'm not competing with anybody but myself. And this is at makemecook.com. So you definitely want to check out. Yeah. There's um great photography there as well because you photograph each each of the recipes, right? Yep. So that's yep. cool stuff, and you can check out Kelly's Flickr feed, and she's also has a great portfolio at iStock Photo. So I'll provide all of those links on the show notes for this episode. Yeah. Oh, and there's another place that my uh, work is featured quite quite a bit, actually. Um, I'm one of the contributing photographers, of, and that's uh, thegildedfork.com. They actually have one of my images on, on their homepage at okay. the moment. We'll provide a link to that website as well. Cool deal. So thank you so much for sharing your uh, your expertise with us tonight. I could be of help. Well, that's all we have for this episode of Light Source, the brightest podcast on the Internet. Be sure to check out the show notes at studiolighting.net for the things that we talked about on today's show. And there you can also find links about our photography and keep up with the stuff that we've been shooting. And don't forget you can send us feedback or questions about the show to studiolighting at gmail.com. And we'll try to answer those questions on the show or in the lighting questions section on studiolighting.net. You can also get feedback on your photography in our Flickr group, which is at www.flickr.com slash groups slash light source till next time take care check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com photocastnetwork.com <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. I like them french fried taters. Mm-hmm. I like them pictures, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm, you know, not talk like that. You're just a boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>